0: All right, thank you so much and I'm so glad that you're here with us on this Wednesday night. Thank you for uh, believing that that, uh, church is important during the middle of the week. I'm glad you're here and I trust God will bless our time together. How many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building tonight? And let me ask you now to join me once again in the last book of the Old Testament or the book of Malachi. We're in chapter 2 and that's page number 981. If you have an old Schofield Bible... And if you'll join me there in just a moment, I'm going to read a verse here in a minute and just make three or four statements about the verse, and then we'll be done. And I meant to say this a moment ago when I was talking about all of that other stuff, but I want to thank you for your patience and also for your prayers about this matter. And I mean that. This, uh, our church has been extremely patient through this whole process. And uh, when we get something in concrete, you'll know about it. But if you just continue to be patient and then pray about it, and uh, hopefully soon we can get all this stuff uh, finished and behind us and move forward. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that day. Amen? And that'll be great. Don't forget our service is Sunday at 9 o'clock for Sunday school and preaching service back at 10 o'clock. Our service times are a little different here uh, for those of you that may be visiting. And uh, so we meet at 9 and 10, and then we meet back again on Sunday afternoon at 5.30. And uh, so please pray for the services this Lord's Day, and let's pray God will give us a good day. All right, Malachi chapter 2, if you're there, would you say amen? All right, it's 7.33. All right, I'll keep you abreast on the time. I think the, the longer I preach, the more I kind of get like Brother Zeno about that. And I'm telling people what time it is all the time. I guess I picked that from him years ago, but uh, I won't keep you long. Somebody said that's what Elizabeth Taylor told her eighth husband, I won't keep you long. So I'm not going to keep you long. But if you'll leave your Bibles open, I think there's a verse in this chapter that will help us tonight. Maybe not help us, it'll convict us anyway. And uh, so uh, we either need to be encouraged or convicted One and so I'm glad you're here. Let's do this. Let's pray, and let's get started. Father, please bless your word tonight. Thank you for a good crowd on a Wednesday night, a good crowd. Thank you for good singing, good music. Lord, for blessing our church. Thank you for these ladies who were saved. Thank you for Brother Jerry and those men that meet together every Tuesday morning, Brother Tom and many times Brother Harvey, Brother Don, and they go out and they knock on doors. Thank you for those men that, uh, that believe in soul winning. Thank you for those who were saved tonight. Bless their lives. God, may they be, uh, become an important part of our church here and be fruitful in the fellowship of God's people. Now bless the Word tonight, those listening by radio, and then God, those of us sitting in this auditorium listening tonight. I pray the Bible will have something to say to us. and help us tonight, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us recently in our Wednesday evening services, then you're going to recall that we are currently making our way through the last book of the Old Testament, or we know it as the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi was actually written almost, believe us or not, 2,500 years ago. And yet I think as we have moved through this book, we have saw how relevant what is being said in this book is to this day and age in which you and I are living in. And for the last two or three midweek services, we have been bogged down in Malachi chapter 2. I think we spent about five weeks in chapter 1, just kind of got mired up, and now I need to get going again. Somebody's going to have to throw a chain around us and drag us out of Malachi chapter 2 because there are some great truths that is found in this chapter. And if you think back to the last two or three services, you may remember that in this chapter, Malachi is laying out, when I say laying out, telling off, when I say telling off, he's letting the spiritual leaders of that day really have it. He is really, he's really lamb blasting the, uh, uh, the, the people, uh, the, the, the priests, the spiritual leaders of that day. In fact, what he's saying is this, the reason my people, God, through the prophet Malachi, the reason my people are in such sad spiritual shape is because the leaders of the people, the spiritual leaders of the people are in such sad, spiritual shape because as the clergy goes, so goes the laity. I mean, man, if there is no fire in the pulpit, there's going to be icicles in the pew because whatever, whatever the temperature is in the pulpit, basically it's going to radiate through the entire body and fellowship Of the believers, so in chapter two, boy, Malachi is just letting those spiritual leaders. In fact, if you look back at verse number one, he says, "Now and now," he says, like this: "All right, boys, y'all get ready now, you bunch of priests," and he just starts letting them have it because of the condition that they are in. So he's really just, really just, really telling the spiritual leaders off. I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating again that the reason that our country. And our church is in some of the shape that it's in can be laid at the feet of the pulpit of our churches. Well, I've said it something like this before. The reason there's so much anarchy in the country is because there's so much apostasy in the churches. Amen. And buddy, the reason that there's so much apostasy in the churches is because we got preachers that don't want to stand up and say anything about sin anymore. They don't want to ruffle any feathers, make anybody mad. They want everybody to like them, everybody to feel accepted, and they just they just don't want to say anything about sin anymore. I was reading just, in fact, I read this right before church that there was a church down in Mississippi, uh, not. Too awful far from here, and they, uh, two ladies in the church got involved in some kind of an immoral relationship together, so the church voted them out. And then the preacher turned around and wrote them a letter telling them they had been dismissed from the fellowship of that church because they were living in sin in an immoral, unbiblical lifestyle. And the church was looking forward to the day when they would repent and get right with God and they could feel free that they would be accepted back into the fellowship of the church. The church would forgive them when they repented and got right with God. And I mean to tell you that crowd is being blasted down there. I mean it's all over that Facebook and social media and man they are letting that church and that preacher have it because they took a stand. Boy, I'm saying we're living in some sad days indeed in America when we're supposed to just sweep everything under the rug and let anything and everything go on inside of the house of God. I also read, believe this or not, I also read that in the Methodist movement, and by the way, I know, man, I'm not, I'm not too awful high on the Methodists, and if you happen to be one, I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm glad you're in the Baptist church. But uh, thank you for being here tonight, and I love you. But, you know, the Methodists don't take much of a stand much on anything anymore, but they have recently come out and taken a stand on homosexuality and lesbianism and transgender in America. Well, there is an upheaval, and they say that the United Methodist Movement is actually going to split over this. But recently, in a church in the state of Colorado, a bunch of teenagers got up and resigned their membership in the church, the Methodist church that they were a member of simply because of the stand of the the Methodist church on the LGBTQ, whatever, they've recently uh, taken a stand against that and these people are saying, no, we don't want to be a member of this church anymore. I'm telling you, it is sad days in America when such goings on are happening inside of the house of God. But the reason that a lot of that stuff is going on is because preachers no longer take a stand. So he's really letting the spiritual leaders, the priests of that day have it because of their sad condition which is spilled over into the lives of God's people. Now, I want you to listen to me now. I recently, just reading through this chapter again, I found a verse that amazed me when I read it. All right? It is an incredible, an incredible statement made in this chapter that I really want to share with you tonight. But before I get to it, I've got to tell you this. For every one of the people of God, God has four things for his people. I'd like for you to write these down. We was going to put them up there, but somebody's messed up the screens and we're in all kind of mess. But if we ain't got singing on the wall around here, we, don't, we can't sing no more. So if we can't put it up on the wall, we're hurting. So would you write this down if you don't mind? There are four things that God has for his people. Number one, God has a bag for our sin. God has a bag for our sin. Now, if you need a scriptural reference for that, it is Job 14 and verse number 17. And Job talked about God putting his sin in a bag and sewing it up. In other words, Job said, Boy, I sure am glad that God took all of my sins, put them in a bag, and sewed them up and and made it so the devil couldn't get back hold of them no more. God has a bag for our sin. Aren't you glad for that? By the way, I know in the New Testament God just don't put them in a bag or cast them in the sea. Thank God they're gone now because of the finished work of Calvary. But God has a bag for our sin. Number two, write this down. God has a book for our name. A book for our name. In other words, with God, God has a book. God is keeping a record, and God has a book with the names of all of his children inside that book. Now, if you need a scriptural reference for that, write down Malachi 3:16. All right? So God has a back for our sin. God has a book for our names. Number three, watch this now. God has a back for our burdens. God has about you. you. You do know that because you're saved doesn't exclude you from having problems in this walk of life. Don't you wish when you got saved all your problems was over with? Don't you wish when you got saved your refrigerator would never tear up again? Don't you wish when you got saved your old dog wouldn't get run over? I mean, brother, don't you wish when you got saved, I mean, all your sickness, all of your financial difficulties, all of your family problems was all over with when you got saved. But we know by experience that to be saved means you got a friend that'll always be with you, but it also doesn't mean that you won't have problems in this walk of life. But aren't you glad that when the burdens of life become heavy upon us and we're overwhelmed by the burdens of life, aren't you glad we got a God with a back big enough to carry our burdens. Can I tell you something? Our old bodies weren't made to carry burdens much. I mean, man, we, we can't carry a whole lot of burdens until we become overwhelmed in life, but I'm glad the Bible teaches us that we can cast our burdens upon the Lord for he shall sustain us. That means he's got a back big enough for our burdens. By the way, need a scriptural reference? Psalms 55, 22. But now here's what I want to preach about. So he say them with me now. Ready? He has a, that's right, a bag for our sin. Number two, he has a, that's right, he has a book for our name. Number three, he's got a, that's right, he's got a back for our burden. But number four, write this down, he has a bottle for our tears. Right. A bottle for our tears. In other words, when we cry unbeknownst to us, when you and I cry over, over things of, of life, over this walk of life, when things break our heart and the tears begin to flow, God sticks a little bottle up under our tears and God bottles, bottles our tears. Unbelievable. Need a scripture reference for that? Write down Psalms 56 in verse number 8. Now I want to tell you something about tears. Listen to this. There's something about tears that touches our hearts. I mean, man, I don't know what it is, but let a person start crying and our hearts get filled with compassion. I know that's true with my little old grandbabies. When my grandchildren start crying, I mean, man, when they start crying, my heart springs into action. And let me tell you, when the tears start falling, i got to find a way to fix whatever's been broke here Uh, Whatever's gone wrong—I mean, a trip to the candy store, Walmart, whatever I got to do—we got to get that to stop because I cannot stand to see them little grandbabies cry. There's something about tears that 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 motivates me to action to try to fix whatever it is that's causing those tears. Are you like that, boy? Tears touch our hearts, but listen now, boy. There's something about our tears that touch the heart of God. I mean, when you, when you move through the Bible, and I'm not going to take a lot of time here, but when you just move through the Bible, you'll find out that when people begin to cry, business began to pick up with God. It's almost like this. When, when humanity, especially God's people, when they start crying, God's heart gets moved. And when God's heart gets moved, God's hand gets moved. I mean, God, just like us, we spring into action trying to fix whatever it is that's been broken. God begins to move because he is moved, motivated by our tears. Now, there's a couple of incidences that I could point you to in the Bible. I was going to put all this up on the screen, but just let me tell them, there, there's a king back in the Old Testament whose name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. But for some unknown reason, at the tender age of only 39, God sent King Hezekiah, a good king, a message, hey, Hezekiah, through the prophet Isaiah, set your house in order, you're going to die, son, and you're not going to live. How would you like to get a message at the age of 39, you're going to die? And so the Bible said when Hezekiah got this message that he turned his face toward the wall and he started praying. And the Bible said that he started reminding God of how he tried to serve him. And he started reminding God of how he tried to be faithful. And the Bible said that he wept sore. Well, I can see the old prophet Isaiah now. He's delivered the message. He's bounding down the palace steps. He's going on his way. When God stopped him and said, Hold on, preacher. Go back in there and tell that king that I have heard his prayer and I have seen his tears. Isaiah 38, 5. Go back in there and tell him, Boy, I've heard what he said, but i tell you what, when he started crying, it broke my heart. And you go back in there and tell him, I'm going to give 15 more years to his life. What happened? The tears moved the heart of God. Remember that story in John chapter number 11? And Lazarus, the friend of Jesus, had died? And the Bible said that Jesus got there. The only thing, he was 96 hours late. Now, four days. He showed up four days after the fact. Lazarus has already been dead. The funeral is over. And I mean to tell you, when he gets there, I mean, Martha and Mary, the, the, the sisters of Lazarus, I mean, they're all to pieces. You may remember when Jesus got to town, somebody said to Martha, said, Hey, Jesus is here. And Martha goes running through the door, runs out to where Jesus is, and she has a face-to-face Confrontation with the Lord. I mean, she's mad about it. She's upset. She thought she thought he ought to showed up when they sent for him. Now he shows up 96 hours late. Some audacity that he's got to come over here. The funeral is over. The last bowl of potato salad has been eaten. And now Jesus shows up. Where was he when we needed him? And I mean, she's just letting him have it. Jesus, if you'd have been here, our brother had not died. Jesus said, don't worry about it. He'll live again. I know he'll live again, she said, in the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. You remember the story. She had a face-to-face confrontation with the Lord. But Mary, she didn't come out the house with a face-to-face con, She comes out and she has a face-to-feet conversation with the Lord. She comes out, falls down at the feet of Jesus, and just starts weeping. I mean, she, she doesn't say anything. She just falls at the feet of Jesus. And I just see her wrapping herself around the feet. And she, 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 she's got snubs. I mean... I mean, she is weeping at the feet of Jesus, and the Bible said in John 11:33. Listen now, when Jesus saw her weeping, and when Jesus saw the Jews, it's all there, weeping. You know what the Bible said? Jesus started weeping, and didn't long till he walks out there to the graveyard. Let's rest. Come and the Bible said that old boy comes bounding out of that grave again. You know what motivated Jesus? The tears of those ladies. The tears of that crowd. I I just want to say again, boy, there's just something about tears that touch the heart of God. How many of you all are with me? All right, now I want to read you a verse. This is incredible. Unbelievable. With all that I've just told you, let me read you what God says now. Look at verse 13. Malachi chapter 2. In verse 13, and this ye have done again. God said, hey, here you are, back again. Then he says this, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out insomuch that God regardeth not. Now wait a minute, hold on just a second. Let me get this straight. Preacher, you said just a moment ago that tears really touched God's heart. Now we read in this text here, these folks in Malachi's day, they're coming, they're laying out all over the altar, they're covering the altar with tears, and they're weeping and crying out. And the Bible said, God Himself said, "You can cry your eyes out far as I'm concerned. I want to hear it. I don't regard that mess. I mean, you, you're doing this again. You're back in here again, leg on the altar, crying like crazy, tears all over the place, and God said, in essence, I don't even care. I don't. You can cry till the cows come home. It ain't gonna touch my heart. Am I right? I mean, did I get? Look at verse 13 again. And this you have done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that He regardeth not. Isn't that amazing? Other places, God was moved to action through tears. God said, here, man, what y'all are doing, I don't even care. I'm not listening. They're not touching me. I've had enough, and I'm preaching tonight on this thought when weeping is not enough. When weeping is not enough. Now, can I tell you something? If you'll look in this text tonight, what's going on here? I mean, why is the Lord so indifferent to the tears of his people, why has the Lord just drew the line here and say, "Y'all cry"? I don't care how much you cry. You can cover the whole altar with your tears. You can wet the floor with them. You can cry bucketfuls. I don't care. I don't even regard it. It don't move me, not in the least bit. What is? What's happened here? Why are we in this sad condition that tears aren't even enough to move the heart of God? Well. I want you to write down three things. You got your prayer sheet there? Write these three things down, and I want to show you from this text tonight, three things, when weeping is not enough. Look, first of all, at number one, and put this down, the consecration, the consecration of their past or previous life. Now, if I use the word consecration, that's not a word that we use a whole lot much anymore. So let me, let me say the word consecration, which I'm using for the sake of alliteration, uh, means to be dedicated or it means to be sanctified or it means to be set apart. Because as this chapter opens up, God is reminding these people of the way they used to be, of how things used to be in their life, how things used to be in their relationship with the Lord. And he just begins to remind them, hey, think back to those days when you were dedicated to me. Think back to those days when you were consecrated. You were faithful. You honored me. And then he goes to say this. Look, if you will, at verse number 5. He he reminds them of their fear of the Lord, their fear of God. Look at verse 5. My covenant was with him of life and peace. I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. God is commending these people because used to be they feared the Lord. The word fear there simply means they had a deep desire to honor and please God. Uh, the, the word fear means that they had a desire to please God and a fear that they would do something that would be displeasing to God. I mean, these folks, the Bible said that, the, uh, that they had a fear of God. Can I tell you something? Everybody in this room knows people that used to fear God, but no longer do. Everybody in this room knows people that used to to be devoted and dedicated to God, but that's no longer the case. Their fear of God, notice number two, their life before God, their fear of God, their life before God. We read there in verse number six, the law of truth was in their mouth, Iniquity, iniquity was not found in their lips. They walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. God said, hey, used to be, hey, used to be... you." had a great testimony. Used to be there was no iniquity in your lips. Used to be you walked with me. Used to be you did turn many from iniquity. I mean, God is just saying, hey, these are the way things used to be. Remember when you used to uh, fear God? Remember when you used to uh, have a clean life before God? What about this, number three? Remember when you used to walk with God? Look again at verse number 6. God said that they walked with me. The Bible speaks of that in this text where they were just walking with God. And by the way, the Bible reminds us, Amos 3.3, 3, how can two walk together except they be agreed? In other words, that, what it tells me when the Bible said they walked with God, by the way, it wasn't that God walked with them. They walked with God. Big difference. Hey, listen, if God's walking with me, God's heading in the same direction I'm heading in. But if I'm walking with God, I'm heading in the same direction God's heading in. Big difference. You know what we need to do in these last days? Man, we need to find out which way God's heading and just walk with Him. I'm not trying to talk about being abrasive, being hostile, being hateful. I'm not interested in any of that, but what I am interested in is walking with God finding out which way the Lord's going and just grabbing his hand and just going along with him. And when God said, this is wrong, it's wrong. When God said, this is right, it's right, and just walk with God. I thought about this. Look at that Malachi 2.6. What, what a great verse. If you want to circle that, if you're looking for something to put on your tombstone, besides pepperoni. What a great statement to be put on a tombstone. Look at this. The law of truth was in his mouth. Iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away. What, what better thing to be put on your tombstone than that right there? That's a great phrase, to be put on your tombstone. There's not a greater thing that can be said of anybody in this room than those things that are said in that, in that verse. And because here these people are walking with God, look at verse number 5, they were living a life of fullness. According to verse number 5, the Bible said, My covenant was with him of life and peace. The life that is spoken of is the abundant life of the New Testament, a life that is full. It was one of contentment and satisfaction. You know why? They were walking with God. They feared God. They, they had a right kind of life before God. They walked with God, and because of that, man, they were satisfied in life. Not many people satisfied in life anymore. There was fullness. But then did you notice this? There was fruitfulness. The Bible said there in verse number 6 that they turned many away from iniquity. That's, That's a good thing to do. Boy, I want to be fruitful, don't you? I want to be accused of turning many away from their iniquity. I'd like to be said of me when I die, I'll tell you what old Brother Tim did. He walked with God and turned many away from their iniquity. What a great statement. They were full and they were fruitful. That's how things used to be. We all know people that used to be, don't we? Sad but true. Our churches are now empty, or a lot of empty seats where people used to be. They used to walk with God. They used to sing in the choir. They used to teach a class. They used to have a bus route. They were consecrated in their walk with God, in their prior life, their, their past life. But now something's happened. So write this down. Not only the consecration of their past, previous life, but the corruption of their personal life. Something ran amok. Because if you look in this text, the thing we come to understand when we read verse 8 and verse 9, something's happened. They've come a long way, baby, as the old commercial used to say. I mean, man, something has happened in their life. Their Their life of consecration has moved to a lack of consecration. Well, we see that a lot in our day, don't we? People at one time sought the Lord, wanted to please God, and then something happened. You say, preacher, what happened to this crowd? Look at verse 8. Here's what happened to them. They departed out of the way. They departed out of the way. In other words, here's what happened. Them and God was walking along. Man, they got to thinking they could do without God, and so they just turned loose. God's hand started walking a different way. There was was an internal and internal corruption. They were corrupted. Verse 8, they were departed out of the way. It was a spiritual departure. I mean, there was a time when they were imparting uh, the truths of God's word. But then we read down in verse number 9 God said, Hey, I've made you contemptible and base before all the people because you've not kept my ways. You've been partial in the law. In other words, God said, man, you got corrupted internally. Something happened. You departed out of the way. But then there was an external corruption because we read again in verse number 8, they caused many to stumble. Can I tell you something? If there ever comes a time that I depart out of the way, I'm going to cause some people to stumble. Being a spiritual leader, I mean, being a, a preacher or being a pastor, if I make up my mind, I'm just going to depart out of the way. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to start doing what i want to do, regardless of what God thinks about it or not. I'm going to start living my own kind of life. I'm going to hurt some people. Hey, you're going to hurt some people. There's some people that's looking at your life. And the Bible said there in verse number 8, they caused many to stumble. I don't want to cause people to stumble. You want to cause people to trip over your careless life and die and go to hell? Not me. I don't want their blood on my hands. Amen. Preacher, you're going to want to do that. We don't want to be a stumbling block. We want to be a stepping stone. We want to help people to God, not cause people to stumble away from God. So he says, hey, hey, something happened here. There was a consecration of their past life. Boy, there was a corruption of their personal life. Somewhere they just got it in their mind. They're just going to do what they wanted to do. Aren't we seeing this happen so much in this day? Is this book not right up to date with where we're at? Because we're seeing that happen in the lives of so many people. We were coming down the road, and I, my wife tonight, we were just talking about different people, and she said, uh, told me about this one uh, fella, young man, and she said, you do know, he's no longer in the ministry. I said, what? She said, no. He's out of the ministry. He messed up. He's, uh, I don't even know if he's even going to church now. I saw a man in Walmart just the other day. I used to preach revivals. This guy, he's probably, he may be four or five years older than me, but we kind of got started right along together. I preached revivals for him. Every year I went to his church to preach revival for him. A, a good man. I, I loved him dearly. I saw him in Walmart the other day. I said, How are you doing? He said, uh, Well, I'm driving a truck now. I said, really? I said, where are you going to church at? He said, well, I'm driving a truck now. And I said, well, man, why don't you come to Woodland? I know he's not pastor. I said, will not you come to Woodland? I said, man, uh, would you even think about maybe just preaching to us sometime? I was just trying to be an encouragement to him. He said, uh, I, I, I'm not worthy to preach. I said, I know what you're saying. I said, none of us are worthy to preach. He said, no. And he got hateful and he said, I'm not worthy to preach. And he's out of the ministry now, driving a truck for a living. And think about that. That's what's going on in our text. These people one time walking with God, what's happened? They corrupted themselves. They departed out of the way. And when they departed, they caused many to stumble. I do not want to stand at the, at the judgment seat of Christ or you. I know I'm not going to be judged at the great white throne. I get that. You get that. You say, Preacher, I don't know about that or not. Well, listen, I'm telling you, you're not going to be judged at the great white throne. But I don't want to watch that and have the blood of people running off my hands. People pointing their finger at me and saying, hey, you serve God, but look what happened to you. That's why I'm going to hell. I don't want that to cause many to stumble at the law. Are you with me? So, number one, there was a consecration of their previous life. There's a corruption of their present life. But now come to verse 13. There's the consequence. There's the consequence of their present life. Here's what God said in verse 13, and this you have done again. In other words, God said, here you come again. You want to go out there and live your own way and then run back in here and here you come again with your tears thinking everything's going to be okay. And God said, I just want to tell you, I've had enough of it. I've just done with this. I'm through with that. Your tears no longer move me. Isn't that sad when a person reaches that point? Haven't you seen it though happen before? Somebody goes out and they they get off in a mess, come back, get right with God. Man, we say, Whoo, man, we're glad you're back." Stay in here a little while. There they go again. Come back in here, cry all over the altar. Stay a little while. Go back out again. Eventually, God said, "Hey, you can cry, you can cry all you want to. I'm done with this. I'm not regarding this mess anymore because there's going to come a day when weeping will not be enough." Why don't we do this? Why don't we just stay right to start with? I have a book in my, off- uh, my office by, uh, by Ron, Ron. Help me, Darius. You used to come to your daddy's church all the time. Preach to young people. Ron Riley. I got a book in my office by Ron Riley. It says this. It says, uh, Building men is better than mending nets. Or in other words, what he's trying to say is this. It's a whole lot better to stay right than have to come back and let God pick up the broken pieces of your life and put everything back together. It's easier just to stay right with God. So I just want to encourage you tonight. Man, let's stay right with God. Let's don't get out of the way with God. Hey, let's don't, let's don't depart out of the way. Let's don't, let's don't cause many to stumble at the law. Let's stay right, and then we don't ever have to worry about God saying, them tears, they don't bother me no more. They, they don't work on me anymore. I've had enough of it. I don't even regard them. Your weeping is now not enough. Amen. I said, Have you ever seen that? I know you probably read your Bible. I've read the Bible before. I don't know why it just kind of stuck in my heart when weeping is not enough. Let's pray. Father, bless.